Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Galatians and chapter number four this morning. Galatians and chapter four. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one near or around you, perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, perhaps in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And what we would encourage you to do is pick up that copy and read along with us in the book of Galatians. And how you'll find your places across the top of the page, you'll see the word Galatians work toward the back of the Bible and you'll see it there. And then you're going to look for big number four. That's what we call chapter, all right? Chapter number four. And then little number verse 21, all right? Galatians chapter Chapter 4, verse number 21, and that's how you'll find our reading for this morning, and we want to make sure that you are following along with us. In fact, if you don't have a Bible at all, that copy of God's Word would be our gift to you. We would want you to take that with you when you go from this place this morning, and we want, we, we believe and want you to have God's Word in your hand as you go throughout your week, so you can have that. You don't have to feel like you're stealing it and stuff it down in your purse and hide it, all right? You can just have that if you don't have one at all, all right? Galatians chapter 4, and if you you found your place, would you stand with me for, out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 down to verse 31. We'll end the chapter this morning. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in the area of the world known as Galatia. So the area of our world known as Southern California. So this is Paul writing to the churches in that area, the Galatians, right? If he were writing to us today, to the Southern, Southern Californians, that's what the book would be called. That's why it's called Galatians, because it's to the churches or believers in that area of the world. Look at verse number 21. So tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. So which things are an allegory? For these are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, or how you know her in the Bible is Hagar. So the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So for it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, the scripture saith, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. This is a great verse, verse number 31. We are children of freedom. That's what he's saying. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our hearts and lives this morning. And in your son's name we pray. And say it with me, would you? Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is in a conversation through this entire letter about who we belong to and how that we are not children after the law, children after the flesh. The, the illustration he's been using is children after circumcision, how it's not our religiousness that makes us right with God. It's not our morality that gives us a standing with God. It's not our civility that makes us right in the eyes of God. It is only by faith that we are made right in the eyes of the Lord. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. And yet, when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
When you heard the good news of Jesus Christ, you believed by faith through grace on the Lord Jesus Christ that you were declared right. And the word that he used is a really big word, but the word is justified. It's a word of legal terms. It's the judge picking up the gavel and slamming it on his desk and declaring you innocent. And this is the judge of the universe, which is God. So Derek, come and help me here. So when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you were at that moment declared righteous. You were justified in the eyes of God. That happened in that moment. The moment you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment you placed your faith and trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of the universe declared you right. How do, we, how do we make ourselves right in the sight of God? And the answer is you can't. But you believe, you put your faith and trust in God and, and through Jesus Christ, and when you do, you are declared justified. It's a, it's a legal term. It's a legal sentencing on your life. That even though you and I were sinful men, that even though the wages of sin are death, that even though all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that even though no one in this room is perfect, including you and including the guy you're listening to, and no one was perfect, but when we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God in that moment justified us, he declared us right. And that's a wonderful idea that the Apostle Paul gives us in chapter 1 and chapter 2. But he says this, he did not, God does not just declare us right. He does not just justify us. He does not just find us innocent even though we are guilty. He doesn't just do that, but he also adopts us into his family. And the image is that the judge of the universe stands up behind the desk and then comes around to where you and I are standing on trial, and then he brings us into his family. Because the whole idea is this, that I don't want to play catch with the judge. I don't want to go to lunch with the judge. I don't want to hang out and have long talks with the judge, but I want to play catch and hang out and have long talks with my father who I have a personal relationship with. And so the judge of the universe, God, declared us righteous, but also adopted us into his family, and he made us his children. So the judge of the universe declared us legally righteous, but as our loving heavenly father, he declared us loved in that he adopted us into his family. And when God adopted us into his family, we were given all of the promises of God. So everything that was due to Jesus is now attached to you and to me because we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That we have an inheritance that is coming. Michael, come help me on this point. This is what we use as glorification. That God is preparing a place for us. That there comes a day, there comes a time in which you take your last breath on this earth and then you take your first breath into glory and there you will be made into the person that God desires you to be. The Apostle Paul talks about it in other passages and he says it this way, that there in that time we will be known even as we are known and while we do not yet know what we will be, we know that we will be like Jesus Christ in that moment. And this is the inheritance that God says, this is yours. So he, had, he declares us righteous, he declares us loved, but he also promises us a future in which we will be made just like Jesus, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and that he's making for us this place, and he is waiting to come again and receive us to himself. And so what we asked last week is, okay, so we believed on Jesus, we were adopted into his family, and that's what God has for us in the future, but what about right now? And this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul is now working out. This is what we call sanctification. And the verse that we, we talked about last week was verse number 19. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So what is the goal of our living now is that Christ would be formed in us, that Christ's life would be lived through us. Nevertheless, it's not I, but Christ 
that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So now I'm living out this life, and I'm putting to death the things of the flesh. I'm mortifying the deeds of the Spirit. I'm not living according to my own way. I'm not doing things according to my own ideas, but I'm submitting myself to the Word of God, and I'm yielding my spirit to the Spirit of God, and I'm asking God to form Christ in me by way of his spirit. You remember we talked about that last week. And so now, right on the heels of this, the Apostle Paul says, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by a bond the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, and he who, was of the, who, he who was of the free woman was born after the Spirit. So the heart of authentic, real Christianity is this idea, how that God is proving his love to us. God commended his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that God is proving his love to us in that not just he died for us and declared us righteous, but that he adopted us into his family. He's reserved for us an inheritance, one that cannot fade away, one that is incorruptible, one where moth and rust doth not corrupt, one that is reserved for us. It is yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the very same time, we are working this out in our lives. And here's what he's saying. There's two ways that you you can approach life now. You can approach life in two ways. You can approach life by the way or the illustration of the person named Hagar, or you can approach your Christianity by way of the person named Sarah. And now stay with me. So you got an outline. I want you to follow along because I want you, to, want you to see what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. Look at first. Look at first. There is this historical illustration, he says. Are we Christians because of what we do ourselves, or are we Christians because of what Christ, through His Spirit, is doing in us? And what Paul is saying is, we are Christians not of our own doing, not of our own work, not of our own good nature, not of our own civility, not of our own righteousness. We are Christians because of the work that God, through His Spirit, is doing in us in our lives, causing, causing Christ to be formed in us even at this very moment right now. So you have this idea. You have this historical illustration. Stay put because I'm going to use both of you. Here it is. The story is Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. And as a result of Abraham's relationship with Sarah and Abraham's relationship with Hagar, you have two sons. You have the son named Isaac by way of Sarah, and you have the son named Ishmael by way of Hagar. That's why he says in verse number 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondmaid, that's Hagar, one and the other by a free woman, that is Sarah. So, he, so he's giving the Jewish people a history lesson. He's saying this is where, this is how God launched his forever family. And God's plan in launching his family was not through the bondwoman. It was not through Hagar. It was not through amateur providence. That, but God's way through which he launched his family was through an impossible promise. And here's the promise. That Abraham and Sarah, even in their old age, would have a son. This is, this is letter A. An impossible promise. Promise. Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah was 90. It was impossible for her to have a son. And yet, that's exactly what happened. Imagine your great-grandmother suddenly showing up with the news that she is expecting a son. And then imagine that she delivers a healthy baby boy into this world. As ridiculous as that may be in your mind, that is just as ridiculous as it was to Abraham and Sarah. That Abraham at 99 and Sarah at 90 could in some way bring about a child into this world, and yet that is exactly what happened. Here's the idea. The promise to Sarah was a promise of miraculous portions. 
It was not something that Abraham and Sarah could do on their own. It was something only that God could do through them, that God could do with them. So here you have Sarah. I'm just going to guess Sarah didn't have a beard. But nonetheless, we'll just go with the illustration. So here you have Sarah, and Sarah is 90. You are old. I feel like you would be hunched over a little bit. Okay, there you go. Sarah is 90. And the promise is in one of miraculous portions. This cannot happen on your own. And so here's this impossible promise. That God will do the impossible. This is what our God specializes in. That God's work of salvation, that's impossible. That God's work of sanctification, that was impossible. God's work of glorification, that is impossible. God's work of forming Christ in us is a work that is impossible. It is not something that you and I can do. It is something only that God can do in us, that God can do through his spirit in our hearts and lives. And so you have Abraham and Sarah who receive this impossible promise, and it's impossible, and that is what makes it perfect. It is perfectly impossible. So that Abraham and Sarah cannot brag on their own. They cannot stand up and go, look what we did. Look how good we are. Look at how religious and spiritual. Look at how wonderful we are. We did this on our own. And that was the entire point. And yet, letter B, for your outline there, Abraham and Sarah grew impatient. And rightfully so. The promise did not come soon enough for Abraham and Sarah. And so Sarah gave her servant Hagar, this young Egyptian woman, to be the wife of Abraham. And they had a son together. And that son was named Ishmael. Michael, Hagar, all right? These are two very ugly women right here, all right? So Sarah gives... Hagar to Abraham as a way of fulfilling the promise of God. Here's what Abraham and Sarah are thinking. God, he just needs a little help. He just needs a little assistance. I mean, I know he made a promise, but maybe he wasn't taking into, effect, into account my birthday, and maybe he didn't really understand how old I was, and so maybe he needs a little help. So let's help God out by providing a way of assistance, and that way was through the servant named Hagar. As a side note, what Sarah and Abraham did might have been legal in those days, but it certainly was not moral. God's plan is one man, one woman, for one lifetime. And whenever that plan Whenever that plan is deviated from, or whenever that plan is skewed or turned, while it may be legal, it is not moral, and it always brings about devastating consequences. It always brings about any person in the Bible who takes multiple wives to themselves, it always brings devastating consequences into their heart and their life. So while it may have been legal in terms of the law, it was certainly not moral in terms of how God viewed it. So here's what happened. Hagar is now expecting. What to expect when you're expecting? Here it is right here, right? The Hagar is now expecting. This is what the Bible teaches us. Look at verse number, uh, look at verse number 23. And he, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. So Abraham does not see the blessing or the promise of God coming soon enough. So he takes Hagar. Hagar delivers into this world Ishmael. Hagar delivers into this world Ishmael. And here's what, here's what Abraham prays over Ishmael. God, would you please bless Ishmael that he might live. Isn't that interesting? Abraham does not believe God to bless Sarah, but Abraham prays that God would bless Ishmael, which is something he's doing of his own work. It's something he's doing of his own nature. It's his own fleshly work that he's asking God to bless. And yet, because he was not the promise, God did not bless him. And then just like that, Ab just like that Abraham and Sarah begin to expect the son named Isaac. That's the back half of that verse. I want you to see it. Verse number 23. So he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. That's Ishmael. He was, who was born of the free woman was born after promise. That is the boy Isaac. That God fulfills 
His promises. Look right here at me, church. God always fulfills His promises. There are not very many people in this world that are good for their word, but God is good for His word. You can believe God. You can trust God. And where God gives His word, God always follows through. This is the story of Christianity. This is how we understand our relationship with God. That God is good for His Word. And that when He works His Word into our lives, it is always by miracle. It is always done supernaturally. It is always done according to promise, not according to our performance. It's always done according to faith, not done according to the flesh. Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So whatever we're trying to do on our own, whatever we're trying to do of our own good work, whatever we're trying to muster up, our own religiousness, our own spirituality, our own self-righteousness, our own good feeling, our own morality, whatever we're trying to work up on our own, man, this is not, this is not good enough. This is what we can do assuming that God somehow needs our help. And yet, what we're seeing here is that God always fulfills His promise. And what we're seeing from the life of Abraham and Sarah is that God's promise is worth the risk. God's promise is worth the risk. It is right to risk it all on the Word of God. It is right and good and becoming for us to move all of our future hopes, all of our future dreams, all of our future plans. It is right and good and becoming for us to move them and place them solely on to the Lord and His promise. This is the premise here at First Baptist Church. We exist to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ that He might receive all the glory due His name. The glory does not belong to me. The glory does not belong to you. The glory does not belong to our organization. The glory does not belong to our strategizing. The glory belongs to God alone. And the Bible teaches that there is coming a day in which God will receive all the glory. That every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord of all. And I, for one, believe that day is coming very soon. So you have this historical illustration. Are you tracking me? Do you remember who Derek was? He is Sarah. And Sarah miraculously delivers Isaac into this world. Congratulations. And Michael is who? Hagar. And Hagar, by the work of the flesh, delivers into this world Ishmael, who, God, who Abraham then asks God to bless my own work because I did this for you. Aren't you so happy, God? Congratulations, Michael. Number two, a divine interpretation. These two guys did not know they were going to be in the sermon this morning or they would have skipped this session. Look at verse 24. So which things are an allegory? An allegory, the meaning of an allegory is a story that is revealed with hidden meaning. Okay, so he's saying, this is actually not about Ishmael, or Ishmael and Isaac. This is actually not about Hagar and Sarah. This is actually not about them. This is about your and my understanding of how we approach God. This is actually about how we see ourselves in the eyes of the Lord. Because one, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar, and from, from this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and that answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage. So here's what he's saying. You have two ways of which you understand your relationship with God. You are either approaching God saying, God, look what I did. God, look what I did. God, look what I did. And it's all filled with I and me and my. God, look at my work. God, look at my religiousness. God, look at my offering. God, look at my spirituality. God, look at my righteousness. God, look how, look how much I do for you. 
So you're approaching God saying, it's my, it's me, it's I. Or you're approaching God saying, God, it's all you. But by the grace of God, there go I. Look, I labor more abundantly than they all by the grace of God. God, thank you for my promotion, but that was all because of you. God, thank you for this husband or wife, but that was because of you. God, thank you for these children, but that was because of you. And everything you see in life is because of the good grace of God being rained down in your life. So you either, you're either seeing your relationship with God as, man, this is all God and not me. And he's working in me because I know in me that is in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. You're either seeing everything in your life by the grace of God or you're seeing things in your life. Well, I got this because I worked hard and I'm, I, God really likes me because I'm spiritual and look at all I do for the church and look at all that I give and look how I serve and my kids are this way because I'm a good parent and my, my husband or wife, they turn out this way because and I got the promotion because I'm better than you. You're seeing your relationship with God through what you do or you're seeing your relationship with God through what God is doing in you and even in spite of you. And this is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This is the difference between the law and faith. This is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says, the way you get God on your side is by doing all these things. By being civil, by being moral, by being religious. By, by, by having this and not doing that, by having a really long list of don't do's, and if you abide to the long list of don't do's, well then in the end, God might like you. And in the end, God might be pleased with you. And in the end, God might bless your Ishmael. This is the difference between the law and faith. So here it is. Let's talk about, let's talk about Hagar for a second. This is letter A, the Hagar equation. It, 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 it reads... It reads interesting, so I want you to, to track with me. But look what he says. Hagar equals Ishmael. Ishmael equals Sinai. Mount Sinai was where they received the law from God. That's where Moses went up into the mountain and received the law and then came down and then delivered the law to the people. So he's saying Hagar equals Ishmael, which equals Sinai. And just like Hagar was a bondwoman, just like Hagar was a slave, Ishmael was a slave, and just like Ishmael was a slave, the law given at Sinai, that's a slave. Okay, so the law, we already talked about this, that the law, in, it, it enslaves you, it ties you up. Okay, this is what he's saying. Do you not hear the law? Remember the very first verse we read? Look at verse 21. Ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You, you really think you can live out all that the law says? You really think you can do all that the law asks you to do? You can't. And so Hagar equals Ishmael. Ishmael equals Sinai. It equals the law. The law equals slavery. All these equals slavery. And then it leads, look what he says. And then it leads, look at verse number 25. And Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and that answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage to your children. So here's what he's saying. These, these Judaizers who've come up to Galatia, and they're telling these Christians in Galatia, you've got to obey the law. You, you must be circumcised. Yes, believe in Jesus, and yes, have faith, but you also must be baptized. Yes, believe in Jesus, and yes, have faith, but you also must have good works. Yes, believe in Jesus, yes, have faith, but you also must be moral. Yes, believe in Jesus, and yes, have faith, but you also must give tithes. Yes, believe in Jesus, and yes, have faith, but you also must do anything else. He's saying, Paul is saying, these people from Jerusalem who are coming up and preaching this other gospel to you, you know who they're from? You know what their lineage is? Their lineage goes to Sinai. It goes to the law. Their lineage ties back to Ishmael. Their lineage ties back to Hagar. They're from the Hagar's line. They're slaves to their own bondage. They're slaves to the law. Do you not hear the whole law? How can you possibly fulfill the law? You can't. This is false religion at its best. False religion at, at its best demands that there are certain rituals and observances and ceremonies that you must do in order to have God pleased with you. 
False religion says there's these things you must do, but also false religion says, and look at this really long list of stuff you shouldn't do. You, not only must you do all this, but you must not do all of that. And if you violate any of that, guess what? You're guilty of it all. You're guilty of it all. You break the law in one point, you're guilty of breaking the law in every point. You who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Here's why you can never do enough. How much good do you have to do in order to make up for the wrong that you've already done? Let, let's just hypothetically say you could live from this point forward perfect and never sin and never do wrong, right? which everybody in the room admits. No one is perfect. Right? We all admit that. Well, no one's perfect. I mean, I got my thing, but you got your thing too. Nobody's perfect. Okay, but let's just say from this point forward, you could be perfect. What about all the past wrongs? What about all the past failures? What about all the past struggles? How, how are you going to make up for those things? Okay, so let's say you could, you could obey the to-do and to-don't list from this point forward, but we all have to admit that we have not obeyed the to-do or don't list from this point forward. We've used this illustration before, but let's say we were going to set out to swim to Hawaii. Hawaii, 2,479 miles away. And so me and you, we get in our swimming trunks, we stretch out, we go down to the coast, we look at each other and we say, see you at Hawaii, but buddy. We jump in the water and we start swimming to Hawaii. And we just swim our little hearts out and we just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And let's say I, can, I make it a really far away and I swim 200 yards out. And I get 200 yards away from the coast. How many of you know 200 yards is not 2,400 miles? How many of you understand that? I get 200 yards out and I just, oh, I can't take it anymore. Michael, go on without me. And I just give up and I drowned right there. And you're like, wow, it's too bad for Pastor. I thought he was in better shape than that. Good thing for me, I can swim really far. And let's say you swim twice as far as I do. I made it 200 yards. Let's say you make it 400 yards. Man, wow, you're, you're twice as good of a swimmer as I am. You swim twice as far as I do. Here's my question. Did you make it to Hawaii? You made it farther than me, sure, but you didn't make it to Hawaii. And guess what happens at 400 yards? You drown. Or you're eaten by sharks, one of the two. I'm not for sure which one happens. Are they that compare themselves among themselves? Oh, they're not wise. You see, your, your religiousness, your morality, your good works, they may be better than your neighbors, but here's the thing. They're not better than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the standard is not your neighbor. The standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal is not to be like the pastor. The, the goal is to be like Jesus. The goal is not to be like said him, said her. The goal is to be like Christ. Till Christ be formed in me. Till Christ be formed in me. So, so how, are we, how are we causing Christ to be formed in our lives? Man, many people are approaching their relationship with God with the Hagar equation. Hagar leads to Ishmael. Ishmael leads to the law. The law leads to, uh, to present-day Jerusalem, which was the pharisaical system in place. And all of this, it gendereth to bondage. All of this ties you up and leads you in to bondage. So here's number two. The hopeful identity. That's letter B. You have the Hagar equation, but then you have letter B, the hopeful identity. Look over here. Now this is, this is back to Sarah. Verse 126. But Jerusalem, which is above. Okay, so here's what he's saying. Not, not our home here, but our home there. Remember where we had Michael in as, as, as our future promise? We had Derek as justification. We had Michael as eternity. We had Derek as where we accepted Christ as our Savior. So it's the same idea. He's saying Jerusalem, which is above. Not my home here on this earth. Not the way I get through life now. Not the way I manage my emotions. Not the way I manage my family. Not the way I manage my spirituality. Not the things I do with my weekend. But Jerusalem which is above. Right? So the living for eternity. The 10,000 years from now. The 10 million years from now. The 10 billion years from now. Man, that moment. Do you know what that moment is? This is something we really press on over and over. Live for what matters 
10 million years from today. What matters 10 million years from today? What really counts? What really should affect us? What really should move us? What really should stir our emotions? I mean, this is, this is how we eliminate fear. This is how we eliminate frustration in our life. This is how we do away with anxiety and stress. One of the reasons we're always so stressed out is we're always concerned with this right now in our own flesh. That's the Hagar equation. And Paul is saying, put your eyes above and beyond and live for what matters 10,000 years from today. Because you maybe, you maybe get 75 years in this life. Some people get more, most people get less. You maybe live 75 years in this life, but you will spend millions and millions and millions of years someplace other than right here. So live for there, where moth and rust cannot corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. So go ahead, church, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because that's really what matters. Saying the same thing. Jerusalem, which is above, which is free, which is the mother of us all. Man, the Jews prided themselves on being the children of Abraham. You probably remember singing that song as a little kid. Father Abraham had many sons. Remember that? And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter who your father is. What matters is, is who is your mother? Are you from Hagar? Is it the works of the flesh? Or are you from Sarah? By faith, through way of promise. Not according to what you can do. Not according to your own good works. Not according to your own religiousness. Not according to your own morality. Not according to your own self-discipline. Not according to any of these things, but according only to God's good grace in your heart and life. Let's thank Hagar and Sarah for standing here so politely. Can we go back? You say, Pastor, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Look at it in verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So he's talking about our identity, isn't he? He's saying we're, we're in the line of Isaac. See, see, watch me. Here's what false religion, here's what Hagar, all Hagar cares about, behavior, behavior, behavior modification, the do's and the don'ts. The wills and the won'ts, the stay away froms and the, and the, and the look away froms. That's all Hagar cares about. Behavior modification. Just externally get you to do the right thing for long enough. This is what faith cares about. It's your identity. It's who you are in Christ. You are a new creature. You are justified. You are loved. You are a son, a daughter of God. You have an eternal inheritance, one that cannot be taken away. This is who you are. And when we see ourselves as a strong identity and all that God has done for us, that changes what we do. Man, we're all the more confident. It's like my children, I've used this illustration with you before, but it's like my children. My children have no fear in interrupting any meeting that I've ever had. I can be standing in the lobby having a conversation, and they'll just walk up, Dad, 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 hey, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, yes, God bless you. I know that's really concerning, and I'll pray, pray for you. Dad, 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 what? Hey, I just want you to know I'm going to go with Mom, Okay. Why, are children, why do children not fear interrupting? Because they're confident in who they are. They are strong in their identity. That's my dad, and I'm his child. And if I need to tell him something, I'm just going to tell him. Paul is arguing to us in that same way. Because you are wildly loved by God. You've been declared right. You've been bought and brought into his family. He's building and preparing for you a place where you will be just as he is. This is who you are. Now walk in that identity. And when you walk in that identity, Christ is formed 
in you. Christ is formed in you. When you understand, oh, i got to get Christ formed in me, and the way that I get Christ formed in me, the way that I look like Jesus, do, 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 don't, 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 stay, 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 go, 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 give, 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 serve, serve, serve. Guess what that becomes? That becomes bondage. So the stuff you know you're supposed to do, all of a sudden, here's how you approach it. Oh. And here's what we say. Oh. I gotta go to church. And pastor's probably gonna preach long. I hope he at least makes fun of Derek and Michael. Ah, oh, gotta give more money to the missions. Ah, oh, it gendereth to bondage. The works of the flesh only lead you to bondage so that your service to the Lord all of a sudden becomes begrudging and frustrating and bitter and there's no joy there. This is why we turn grumpy. There should be no such thing as a grumpy Christian. Why? Because all that we do for God is because of the grace that God is putting in us. So I don't have to go to church. I mean, I'm loved by God. I don't have to go to church. I mean, I get to go to church and sing His praises and fellowship with His people and study His Word and have my attention turned to Him. And I get to listen to pastor preach for long. Well, I just got everybody on that one. I just turned it around on them. And pastor, just keep going. No, 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 no. See, it's born out of a hopeful identity. This is it. We've got to be done. Number three, a personal implication. Here's how he ends. I want to end the chapter because I want to get to chapter five next, next week. Look at, look at verse number 29. But as then he that is born of the flesh persecuted him that is born after the Spirit, even so it now is. So nevertheless, the Spirit, nevertheless, saith the Scripture, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Hagar hated Sarah. And Hagar hated Isaac. And Ishmael hated Isaac. And Ishmael hated Sarah. And it extends generation to generation. But look what he says. This is even how it now is. Look at, look at the verse, 29. Even so, it is now. Mark it down. The sons of Hagar, those who see their standing with God as their own good work, as their own flesh, as their own religiousness, as their own morality, they are always persecutors of the truth. The greatest persecutors of the truth is false religion. Somebody might say, well, why can't we all just get along and get together? Why can't we just coexist? Why can't we all just gather together, join hands, and sing Kumbaya? Here's why. Because the children of promise are hated by the children of the flesh. If those who are trying to please God according to their own works cannot inherit the same thing that is coming to those who have believed God only by grace through faith. Here's why we cannot coexist because we do not live in the same family. We're not approaching God the same way. Things that are different are not the same. And all roads of religiousness do not lead to God. There's one way to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you approach God through Jesus Christ, then you are not approaching God. You are approaching something altogether different. And yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
There are some times when you read the Bible that you wish the Bible used different words. This is one of those times. I, I wish the verse read, Yea, some who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and some won't. Don't you wish the verse said that? But it doesn't say some. It says all. Yea, all. Yea is like our word indeed or truly or of a truth. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why? Because of what we are relying on is not our own goodness, it's not our own religiousness, it's not our own morality or civility. What we are relying on is God alone. It's either all Him or it's none of Him. God will share His glory with no man. It's either all God or there's nothing. And if Christ be not resurrected from the grave, then we of all men are most miserable. Why? Because we're putting it all on Him. So you see, letter A, the difficulty that is to be expected. Whenever we face difficult times, it causes us to realize where our confidence really rests. I believe one of the reasons why God allows difficulty to come into our life is because it causes us to realize, it gives us good perspective on what we are really trusting in. When things don't go good economically, it gives us a fresh perspective. Are we simply trusting in markets or are we trusting in God and God alone? Are we simply trusting in the political landscape or are we trusting in God and God alone? Are we trusting in our own good works and our own health or are we trusting in God? Are we trusting in this said relationship or are we trusting in God and God alone? So one of the reasons I believe why God brings difficulty into our lives in these areas is it causes us to realize what are we really trusting in? Where, what are we really relying on? What are we really confident in? Oh, may it be God and God alone. May it be God and God alone. Our dependence, and let it be, our dependence should be extended. Just in closing, can I ask you this question? What's the strategy of your life? What are you banking your eternal existence on? What, what are you counting on to give you a standing before God? If you're here this morning and you're counting on anything other than your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not enough. That's what I want you to hear me say. And today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God will not turn you away. You say, okay, pastor, I've put my faith and trust in God. I've believed on Him. Can I ask you this? What, what's the strategy of your life? Are you approaching God with a me and I and look what I did and look how good I am and look what I didn't do and look what I don't do. Look at me and my religiousness, God, and you must bless my work now. Is your approach to God that way? The same as Abraham's? God, here's Ishmael. I, I helped you out, so now you bless him. Is your approach to God that way? Or are you seeing everything in your life but by the grace of God. I am not glorying in my flesh. I'm not boasting in anything other than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. May that be my boast alone. It wasn't my creativity. It wasn't my skill. It wasn't my work. It wasn't my discipline. It wasn't my awesomeness. No. It was God and God alone. Let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? 
with our heads bowed and right before I pray, can I ask you this question? How many of you here, you say, Pastor, if I were to die today, I do not know that heaven would be my home. I, I, don't, I do not know what would give me a good standing with God. Pastor, today, would you, would you say a prayer for me? Would you just slip your hand up if that's you? Would you say, Pastor, I'd like for you to pray for me about that? Just me and a few of our pastors are looking. God bless you, sir. Thank you for your courage. That is not an easy thing to do. I appreciate your courage. God bless you, sir. Thank you for your courage. Say, Pastor, that's me. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you for your courage. Say, Pastor, that's me. If I were to die today, I do not know that I would have a good standing with God. I do not know that I would be accepted. I do not know that my sins would be forgiven, and I would like for you to pray for me. Just high enough for me or one of our pastors to see it. I'd just like to have a prayer for you. God bless you. Who else? If you raise your hand, thank you so much for your courage. And if you raise your hand, what I want to do is I want to invite you in just a moment. Folks around, you're going to stand. We're going to have a time to just reflect on what we heard. And I'd like to invite you to meet me or one of our pastors right here at the front. I'm going to be standing right here in the center. And I would love to take the Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt heaven is your home. How you can know from God's word that you have a good standing with God. See, it doesn't matter what a church says. It doesn't matter what a pastor says. What matters is what does God in his word say? And God is good for his word. So if that's you, in just a minute, when we stand, there'll be some people around you that probably step out into the aisleway. They'll come and pray at the stairs. Maybe they'll sit and pray at their seat. And I don't want you to worry about that. I want you just to step out of the aisleway, make your way to the closest aisle, come down, take one of our pastors by the hand, and just say, I need to know that I would have a standing with God. Our pastors are on every row from wall to wall, and we would love to help you. If you're here this morning, you know Christ as your Savior. Can I ask you this? What are you counting on? Works of the flesh? Are you trying to have the Hagar equation in your life? Okay, God, look at everything I did. Now please bless it. Or are you seeing all that God has given to you as God's good grace in your life? Is your approach to God, God, me, my, I? Or is your approach to God, you and you alone? And my faith, my confidence is in you, God. My hope and my trust and my dreams, they're in you, God. So Christ be formed in me. Because we are not children of the bondwoman. We are children of the free. This is our identity. We are children of freedom.